0: Hello, and welcome to the Directors UK podcast. We're very pleased to bring you the Q&A from our screening of Battle of the
1: Sexes, which we held last month. Listen on to hear from Valerie Farris and Jonathan Dayton about making the film and its central theme of gender equality. It's, uh, I'm Joe Utiki from uh, Deadline Hollywood well, it's my great pleasure to introduce you to the directors of this fabulous film, Valerie Farris and Jonathan Dayton. Now I'm sure you're all very emotional, uh, so I'm going kick, to kick the ball off with a few questions and then we'll come to you for, for questions as well. Um, so guys, I guess I, I, I kind of really want to start with the beginning. Um, how did you become involved in this, in this film? How did you hear about it and, and you know, what piqued your interest?
2: Well, we, we were approached by Fox Searchlight who had been developing the film with Danny Boyle, actually. Mm-hmm. And Danny um, approached um, Billy Jean a few years ago. So they had a, a script and then Trainspotting 2 came together and so he left and then it was open in they thought of us, thankfully.
1: And were you guys familiar with the the Battle of the Sexes? Did you we, follow we that?
0: Around, um, but not that. I mean, I was. We I think we were both aware of it, but mm-hmm. we didn't watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know, we obviously we knew who Billy Jean King was, and we knew a little bit about the story. Um, but it was really reading the script, and then kind of learning more about all that was going on at that time. And and you know we. We're alive in the 70s and that period of time was really an interesting time for us too. um The idea of setting a movie in that time was really fun and the 70s were kind of our favourite period of film mm-hmm. too. So um, there were a lot of things that attracted us about this project.
1: And was, was all of that in Simon's script when it, when it came to you?
2: All of what? I mean, it well, would, I, because I,
1: I think you know the one thing that's clear to me about the film is the the you know you're not just dealing with this tennis match. I mean, it's the it's it's the position that women held in society at that time. It's you know what was going on in tennis generally, what was going on in the world. You know, uh, social ideas, that kind of thing.
2: There was a, a a lot of what you see here in that first draft, although it was a first draft. And you know, it's funny. Um, it's so nice to be here. Opposed, I mean, I love America, but it's interesting to sort of be in a different culture, um, because one, one of the things that really struck us as Americans was the homophobia of 1973, um, mm. and that you just could not talk about just a person being gay. And so for us, the, the thought of telling a story about a woman who was in a marriage with a man, um, and just, dis- Realizing that that was not her truth and then having the courage to act on it. That was a really Exciting story for us to tell and that was in the story, but Danny and Simon weren't Maybe giving it the same focus that we wanted to Mm -hmm. give it so we kind of stripped away a lot of stuff It was a Danny Boyle movie. Yeah, I
0: was gonna say it's interesting talking to a bunch of directors because we got a script that was really written for Danny Mm -hmm. Boyle who we love but um, when we read it, we were like, well, that's a Danny Boyle movie, so we have to make it a movie that, you know, that feels like our movie. And so that's, we spent about a year and a half working on the script with Simon. And um, if anything, I think we probably simplified the story um, and kind of focused in on the sort of triangle with um, Billie Jean, her husband, and her lover, Marilyn, mm-hmm. and then Bobby and his wife, and kind of made them... the Central, the core of the
1: movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd, I'd love to ask about your experience working with Billie, uh, Billie Jean King, because y- you know you uh, you spoke outside about uh, you know how she's become a friend now, but I, I imagine there's a huge amount of sensitivity that goes into telling this story with with this woman,
0: <laughs> yes.
1: around and you know a hero and all of that kind of thing.
0: She's um, she's incredible, but also yeah, very intimidating and opinionated and and outspoken. So. Um, And this was a really difficult time in her life. Mm -hmm. She uh, hadn't really revisited it, and uh, she said she hadn't watched the match in 25 years. Mm -hmm. And she just really hadn't thought about it a whole lot. So uh, I think a lot of it was very painful for her. And so we asked her a lot of questions, and at a certain point we sort of realized that um, she was now, she's 72 when we were making the movie, And she had a very different perspective on everything that happened. And she had a sort of much more evolved and kind of mature um, view of it. And so uh, we kind of needed to go back and just study this 29-year-old Billie Jean Mm -hmm. and try to imagine what it felt like at that time for her. Um, So we did keep a little distance during um, some of the prep, and then she wasn't around at all during the shoot. Um, I think largely because I think Emma just it was too... Uh, scary to have Billie Jean watching her <laughs> play her. So, and then she came back in during the edit and was a little bit involved, but I really don't think she got the movie until she saw it with an audience. Mm-hmm. And the,
2: the, the thing about telling a story like this is that it was very important to us to not look back at the story as as a piece of history that was done and sort of frozen. We wanted it to look as if it were happening now and unfolding now. So, you know, we needed to kind of disconnect from Billy Jean and really even disconnect from this look this historic perspective and you know, we didn't want to treat the 70s in this nostalgic way of like look at the crazy styles. We wanted to treat it like it was 1973 and you were watching a film that was made in that moment. Mm. So there was not the interest you wouldn't fetishize 70s fashion or you know um, so.
0: and, and unfortunately, <laughs> as we were making it, um, you know, it was during the election and then when we were editing it, um, the election happened and Donald Trump won and all of a sudden it felt like, well, it is 1973. Or maybe it's even, it's maybe way earlier than that, mm-hmm. but um, so it was odd, you know, kind of the, the way uh, the subject matter just became all the more sort of uh, relevant and Sadly, relevant.
1: Mm. Well, since you brought it up, did, it, did the film change at all? Did you, did you respond to it? No. Not really. No. I mean,
2: from, from the very start, we didn't want it to be deeply polarizing, and we didn't want to make Bobby just this cartoon character bad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, even um, Jack Kramer, we cast Bill Pullman because Bill Pullman normally plays good guys and presidents, and we wanted to just play against type in every opportunity so that you know it just you know it just no one was reduced, reduced. to you know something that's too kind simple. of simple
0: billie jean's philosophy you know and, and even then i think she always said you don't underestimate your opponent and respect your opponent and i think she does that not only with the people she's playing uh in a tennis match with but also with anybody she disagrees with mm. and so i think that was something we were just really interested in. It's like, how can you get into a conversation with somebody who you vehemently disagree with? And because I think, um, at least in our culture, you know, we don't know how to have a conversation about, or a discussion about the issues anymore. It's mm-hmm. just, uh, it, it doesn't seem to happen mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, y- y- it's interesting to hear you talk about uh, wanting this to feel like a film. Uh, that was made at the time. I mean, you, you know, you shot on 35. I think. I mean, talk to me about the technical aspects of, of you know, putting the film together. Well, just
0: well, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we wanted to sh- we wanted to look like film, so we considered Super 16, and we did tests with Super 16, and then 35 and 16. Um, but the problem was with the tennis, and we knew we were going to have to do effects. To recreate the Houston Astrodome, mm-hmm. and it just when you got really wide on a on Super 16 or 16, you just didn't have enough sharpness. The ball was a little bit fuzzy, and so um, we ended up going with 35.
2: Mm-hmm. But even things that we're kind of used to now, the logos that happen at the beginning of movies that are big, computer-generated moves and you know fancy, we felt like we had to get rid of those because it just felt Contemporary. So we uh, asked Searchlight if we could. Searchlight didn't exist in 1973. So we created a 73 like logo, and the other funder, we said, you oh. know, they have the worst one. Oh, yeah. You've seen it it's the guy really with the logo. arrow that he shoots, and it's just terrible computer generated. <laughs> so they were very nice to let us.
0: And we used the old. Uh, Alfred, Alfred Newman fanfare that goes mm. with the logo. It was recorded in like 1945. And but
2: so. zoom lenses, you know, we, we searched the states for these very rare um, long, long zoom lenses because we just wanted to use all the language of the time.
1: Mm. Well, I mean, how different is that language from today? I mean, you know, we, uh, there's a certain feel to a 70s film for sure, but like, you, did, were you surprised by some of the, you know, having made two modern films that there what? were things that you didn't want to do?
0: I mean I think we've we're just fans of movies from the 70s so I think we've always kind of loved that language mm. still but uh one of the things that influenced us was watching the actual match the and the broadcast of the original match and they had these super long lenses and we used all the same camera positions as they used to to photograph the the broadcast mm-hmm. and those were there were really long lenses and it, what really struck us was like in the times when uh, Bobby's sitting down on the side, or Billie Jean sitting down, all the cameras were kind of zooming in on them, and you know there was just they they couldn't escape you mm-hmm. know the public view, and that was really interesting. And we used the zooms for a lot of things, but in the broadcast, it was particularly interesting to us that kind of zeroing in on these these there are these figures mm-hmm. who you've kind of had the pr- the privilege of seeing their <laughs> private life, but um, at that moment, it's all it's. Public. Yeah,
1: so. yeah. Well, that, that brings us on to talking about the tennis because I mean, uh, you know, I think we can all admit that like the history of tennis and cinema is not necessarily uh, a, a wonderful one. Uh, d- were you conscious of that? I mean, you, you know, to, that maybe there was something about the game that was hard to tell in uh, in a, in a <laughs> film format.
2: Well, we studied, you know, Hitchcock's coverage of tennis and there's Wimbledon. Um, there's there's a, a the few player. the player match uh, point, match, match point, point, yeah. Um, and we decided that we were going to cover tennis the way you see it when it's live, because there's a certain sense that it's really happening when you see it in a wide shot. And if you cut it up too much, it's kind of cool visually, but it removes a little bit of the, the sense that it's really happening. And there's something beautiful about seeing the two players in one shot moving and correcting. and. The other thing that we talked a lot about is the movie's really divided up into public and private moments. Um, and in the private moments, we use extreme close-ups and we're just like in their experience or just literally in their face, like the haircut and you know other moments. And then we build to this match where when Billie Jean comes out of that tunnel, we go public. And everything you see for the next... Ten minutes is what everyone saw, so it's like a public execution, and you see that there's no escape from these cameras. They're everywhere, and we kind of build the tension of the public experience until we cut finally to the first private moment, which is the dressing room, and she's crying. So that was sort of the visual.
0: Because it wasn't really about the s- the energy of the sport or the the um, you know the drama of the actual game. I mean, it was she beat him. Pretty handily. Mm-hmm. so it was more about the drama of their lives and how it played, you know, and, and sort of knowing what they were going through and you know seeing
1: Bobby sort of
0: slowly fold over the course of the match. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Uh, listen, before I open this up, I just uh, I'd like to ask about working together because it's it's very unusual to meet uh, a, a directing duo. Uh, how does the balance <laughs> of, of kind of power and responsibility work with you guys?
0: Are there any directing teams here? <laughs> No.
1: There you go. Oh
0: my God.
2: Well, you should pair up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, we both do everything, and it, it's, it's really all about the prep, mm-hmm. which, you know, it should be kind of in any filming. I mean, you know, this was a low budget movie, and so we had to have everything planned. It was 35 days, and we just had to, like.
0: No reshoots.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They tore down the building where we shot. The match, it was gone the next week. Yeah. So it was like, we better get it right because the building ain't there. Um, but but we share everything, and, and we do, you know, months and months of prep, and so that when we're on set, we pretty much agree. And you know, after any take, we just have a quick conversation, and then we go talk individually to actors and crew people. But mm-hmm. at
0: that point, we're so much of the same mind. It's yeah. not really an issue once we're on the set, but you know, we do most of our arguing at home.
1: In private, behind closed doors, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it's me. Yeah. Uh, great, so can I take some questions from the audience? If you've got a question, uh, just raise your hand. I'll you try it. Yes, we have a question right there. Hi there, I'm just interested about the, the tennis. How accurate was the tennis? Were you choreographing the shots and you're nodding, so if so, um, how was that in terms of performances? Because it's not as spontaneous as obviously a real match would be.
0: Well, um, what we did is we worked with our editor and a tennis consultant, and we took the original match and we sort of cut it down to about ten minutes. And we sort of took our favorite plays and um, and also kind of all the stuff that happened on the sidelines with Bobby and Billie Jean. And so we cut what we thought would be what we would ideally want in the movie. And then we had our tennis doubles rehearse those plays and or that style of play for sure, but then also you know basically those plays they would rehearse them um, as if they were going to be choreographed. But then when we shot them, we didn't choreograph them, yeah. they, they played, they actually played, and we'd say, okay you're going to win you've got to win this point, and then he'd have to really try to beat her, and you know so because we didn't want the. It would be too clear. You'd, you'd know that they knew where the ball was going. Y- yeah, mm-hmm. you could yeah.
2: see them anticipate if you did exact yeah. So we wanted to Im- imitate the spirit of the play. So everyone, we had tennis doubles. And they learned the grip, the legwork, everything. And there are no g- computer-generated balls. It's all real tennis.
1: How did, the, how did the actors respond, though? I mean, how much work did they have to put into figuring stuff out, well, even with tennis doubles? Well,
0: Steve worked with uh, actually Bobby Briggs's coach from the match wow. and his, one of his closest friends. So he spent about four days a week for four months with Bobby's coach, getting to know him, mean, hearing stories about Bobby and, um, and then just learning the style of play that and, and then working with the dogs, he did rehearsals with the dogs and the frying yeah, all pan. all that Steve. That's yeah. all Steve. Steve did, did, did a lot did frying of frying pan dogs, yeah.
2: and and a lot of the other matches. You know, yeah. but, but when you came into hardcore play, we were. When
0: he know. played Billie Jean, that, you know, the final match is probably the most uh, more of the double than Steve, but mm-hmm. he played Margaret Court more than in that match and. Um, and then Emma really mostly trained to just get her body into shape. She spent four months also just working out and building muscle, mm-hmm. and she wanted to just look and feel like Billie Jean and get her kind of body language and um, on the court and all mm-hmm. of that. So she yeah.
2: studied tennis too, but it wasn't. We there was no way we were going to take someone who wasn't yeah. a tennis player and have them be as good as the best tennis player yeah. in America. You know, yeah. so we, you know, we kind of a handoff we
0: knew early on that wasn't going to be possible but, but the, the fact reason. that
2: the pro that we got her body matched emma's exactly so emma you know i don't want to understate how she added 15 pounds of muscle because mm-hmm. she was coming off a of lava land and she was like a bird
0: and she learned certain moves but you know it was just really to, to actually hit the ball and mm-hmm. hit it in the right spot and i mean there's just there's no way mm-hmm.
1: absolutely you got another question? Yes, right down here. Sorry. Oh. Oh. Um, it was an amazing performance you got from all of them, but from Emma, I was thinking, and I just like wondered how you did that, like the way she was pretty much on edge most of the time, hardly ever relaxes, made it so good. Can you just tell us a bit, I'm only a documentary maker, so I don't work with actors, but I'm just really interested in how you worked with her.
0: Well, it was a lot of the documentaries were really helpful for all of us, because there was just so much footage of Billie Jean, in addition to talking to her, but you know, there was just great footage of her during that time, and and then the one thing Billie Jean told all of us was um, that it was really one of the most confusing times in her life, and that she was sleeping like four hours a night, and um, and then I think you know just sort of talking about all that she was up against and all the things that she had to, you know, she really was kind of. Uh, she had the most to lose of anybody, even though a lot of the women did risk a lot to join the WTA. And, but she had so much to lose. And I think when you felt that how much she had on the line and yet she still pushed for all the things that she you know, knew had to happen and that she was probably the only person that could really do it. Uh,
2: there, there were really big clues. If you watch the original match, when Billie Jean wins, she's not happy. She's she's kind of miserable and exhausted. And you know, we talk to Emma a lot about that moment. And you know, but in the end, um, no amount of coaching from us could really get that performance. That is her she is and, and like I I'll just say one of my favorite moments is just that we have nothing to do with <laughs> is her crying. You know, when she cries, I just feel like <laughs> there are so many colors there of joy you know because she has done this thing that she knew she had to do in relief but also she's more in the closet now because she's more famous than ever and that is just that is just Emma. and also
0: we did shoot it at the end of our shoot which was really great i mean we always try to shoot as much as we can in the order of the script just so that she's had the experience of of the whole story and so I think that helped a lot, but and in each scene, I think you know you sort of know what the feeling is and what you need to get from her, and you know she always gets there. You know that's the great thing. Yeah. Yeah, she's remarkable.
1: And this was the second time that you've worked with Steve. Um, I wonder, did you find uh, a kind of a shorthand there th- th- from from day one? I mean, th- th- was it did it change the experience a little bit, make it easier anyway?
2: You know. We trust Steve a lot um, because we know him. Um, but it, you know, it with people like Steve and Emma, they're such professionals. They bring so much. They've thought a lot about it. We've talked about it. Um, so it was, it was really, it was fun and it was easy, you know. Um,
0: and then you give them people, good people to work with, and mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and I mean, I
2: you know, like the the biggest thing we did for Steve. Um, was to put Elizabeth Shue opposite him so that he He had a a really solid person to perform with. Mm -hmm. But
0: this actually, I mean, casting is probably the thing that we are the most stubborn about of anything as a director. I think um, (laughs) we're probably stubborn about a lot of things, but but casting is the one thing that we have to get our way. (laughs) And and luckily with this film, there were so many great roles in it. so it was we were you know we had the luxury of also shooting in Los Angeles and being able to get a lot of people that were um, local who were great. So um, that that just makes you know. So we basically say here it's yours. You're, you got this role and we trust you with it. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. and that's usually how it makes the job. I don't know. It allows us to kind of let go a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Open up on
1: here. Hi. Um, I was just interested in the um, year and a half that you spent developing the script and what you found to be the uh, biggest challenges in that period because You know you're, you're dealing with sort of th- three big themes You've got the tennis and then the feminism and then the lesbian relationship And I wondered did you struggle with which, which to put the emphasis on and when and was it structurally difficult? I mean, it's what makes it sort of a complex and rich the fact that it's got so many themes, but did you find that period difficult to sort of find where to put the emphasis, as well as obviously trying to move away from Danny Boyle's film? Mm -hmm. And I wondered if you could expand a bit more on that as well. Um, But yeah, it was just the working on the structure that interested me.
2: Yeah, I mean, the structure was enormous. And you know, we wanted to find this sweet spot where we, we wanted, it to, we wanted to treat it as a drama. It was perhaps a little lighter and like kind of move faster and was kind of more sweeping with Danny's kind of pop culture version and we wanted to really get into the relationships but as you get into the relationships you also don't want to talk too much because the thing that we quickly discovered is that there were a lot of things that were really hard to talk about and Billie Jean gave us certain clues, like she said she and Larry never talked about her sexual preference. It just was too hot a topic. And so there were a lot of things in which people spoke about the um, subtext, and we just kept throwing lines out and just seeing, oh, it's still there, it's still holding. And it ultimately was more truthful. Um, So like when Larry comes in and discovers the bra, there's barely a word said.
0: I would say that happened um, a lot in the work with Simon, and then a lot when we were shooting. And, and then you'd cross it again out and lines. And we just say, OK, we don't need all that. And um, and then um, a lot in the editing. And the structure really happened in the edit. There were probably four scenes that we took out, and then two scenes that we moved uh, to totally new places in the movie. and. Um, and because I think it was this kind of, you know, there were a lot of things to kind of weave together. I think oh, so much of it really happened in the edit,
2: like the the gambler's anonymous scene was right after the office scene when you meet him. He's up in the tower, and then you go to gambler's anonymous. But when it was there, it was like too much. It was too rich a meal,
0: and you didn't know. And you know didn't him yet. know.
2: You didn't know Bobby yet. So. By moving it much much later suddenly it was it was funnier and it was more desperate it was just so there's a lot about just what are you ready for as an audience member and just kind of
0: and I think you know just how much you're always writing you know you're just (laughs) writing at every stage Um, I I don't know on this one probably more than anything but it we really you know, we would call Simon and we'd write him, but it was a lot of, um, you know, writing. And then, and then actually the end of the movie, the whole oh match with Howard Cosell, the commentary that's over the whole match. Um, you know, there were a few lines from Howard in the original script, but when we went back to the original two hours uh, of match, two hours of commentary, that was really fun. And we just pulled all those ridiculous, you know, everything he was saying that we, we were so shocked at it. It was like
2: a gold goldmine. It was, it was, it was yeah. just like, oh, let's go back and watch the match. We'll pull some more stuff out. And it just kept, and you just kept stuff, stuffing it in there. Like, he's, she's walking more like a male than a female. And it was like, oh my God. We, and But then it was a matter of like, oh, we have to, Really, get, get permission, permission from his family, and, and so we wrote a note to the his daughters. And I don't I, you know if know, you guys do you, know. Howard does anyone here really? Well. He don't. He, he. I don't know what you would compare him to, but he was yeah. the broadcaster in America, just the known by everyone. But just one more thing I wanted to just mention about writing is that there were certain lines that we struggled with. Till the very last moment. And like we were calling Simon, who was here in <laughs> London, about that last line that Alan Cummings says, you know, someday we'll be free to be who we are and love who we love. And we were just trying to find the most like kind of natural way of saying it because it's a beautiful line, but it's sort of interesting. I'm curious, like.
0: Yeah, because we had it, we cut it we out cut at it out, one point. But it's obviously really
2: important. But it was... Did did people respond to that line? Did they feel it was too, like, Um, old 40s movie? Or like... It really brought it home. It brought it home, right? It delivers it. Yeah, Yeah. no, exactly. You were the right side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what we... And we just, it's fun being with other filmmakers we can talk about just, like, one thing that we experimented with was, um, like, we love the line, but again, with Alan Cummings' face just so beautiful, it was so powerful to watch him. So he said, L- "Just whisper it in her ear." So, um, so you don't spend all this time on a face; you just kind of live with it. And it's in.
0: really an intimate moment. It's something. It's, it's he's not telling her a movie line. A face to yeah. face.
2: Mm-hmm. And Alan, as we shot, he said, "If you whisper in her ear, it won't be so on the nose." And that was. <laughs> it's not on the nose. It's, it's, it's in the, the ear. Yes. Yeah, it's it's the the ear. Something <laughs> like that. But but that was uh, you know a stylistic kind of breakthrough where you could take this kind of movie line, but soften it and then let it
1: land, yeah. Yeah. Great, any other questions? One right at the back there. Margaret Court becomes, um, I love the movie by the way, thank you. Um, <laughs> Margaret Court becomes kind of an, uh, an antagonist for you. Like, has she seen it? Is that, how true to uh, life yeah. is that? Well, I mean, I don't know Lumen? if you guys
0: know about Margaret Court, but you know, she's been in the news a lot recently and you know, very outspokenly anti-marriage uh, equality, and, and she's just pretty. Um, w- she's a Pentecostal minister in Australia, and we were worried that we were painting her too much like a villain. And then, then she just started spouting Erupting. all this horrible stuff. <laughs> it was worse than anything in our film. And, um, but we don't know if she's. We seen don't know, it. but it's open in Australia right now. I just asked. We can Alana. only hope. I asked Billy. Yeah. I asked Billie Jean's partner if today, if, if do you think Margaret Court's seen this, and she said, "Oh no, like like she would never go to see it because she's not a big fan of Billie Jean's. Mm-hmm. In fact, in her I think one of her biographies, there's a whole chapter where she kind of trashes Billie Jean. Yeah.
2: But 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 Alana said, "Oh, but she knows because people are all telling her, friends her. are telling yeah. her." <laughs>
1: Would there are issues with like life rights and, and things like that? Well, <laughs>
2: not so far. Yeah,
0: no, but it is. isn't. I think you know the the most dangerous thing is any time when you just have like the, the scene in the car mm-hmm. with Margaret Court and her husband because it's not in public yeah. and it's we're imagining what might have been said and so that was the thing we were the most worried about. But we so far so good. Yeah.
1: No one let on. <laughs> no, uh, no. Anybody else with a question?
2: Uh, The scene where uh, Emma Stone is crying at the end, how did you prepare for that scene and how long did you allow to shoot that scene?
0: I wish I could say that like we, um, you know, did a lot of preparation and (laughs) and talked to her. I mean, I think the whole movie was the preparation for that scene.
2: Yeah, but, but I mean, we. And then. She yeah. had her own. It, it, that's something where I think, at least our attitude is that she's going to need to find her own private things that will make her go to that place. So we didn't discuss everything that I talked about earlier about the joy and the this. We just, she knew.
0: And I, I, we had talked so much about um, and studied Billie Jean. <coughs> during the match you know and and then i think she really understood from living it you know through living ability, the story the story i think she she just tapped into it and what we usually do is you know we set up the shot and she knew we waited for her to just come in and do it like the first take we just let her come in with her own preparation and if it isn't right then then we have to figure out what to do but that was pretty much her first take
2: And and we and then, shot for about twenty minutes, and it was excruciating um because she was that those aren't fake tears yeah. she's tapping into something really Our really painful just, to her yeah. and and then you know um, you just keep a very private quiet set and you just move to setups and One of the things that really made a big difference is that um um the cinematographer is just this really wonderful guy Linus who she worked with on La La Land and we've worked with for many years. So there was just this intimacy, and, you yeah. know, and that, you know, for that scene for the love scenes, it was all just a really warm.
0: But we didn't ask her to do it again. <laughs> 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 I mean, we knew we had it from the first take. So, you know, I know a lot of directors like to do Thirty takes, or you know, just because they can, or something. And the good thing about doing a low-budget f- film for us is, where we don't, um, we when we know we have something, we move on. We don't need to get it five different ways, and um, so we only did it once. And, <laughs> it <went laughs> and we moved cameras, to another two yeah, cameras, yeah, two
2: cameras, and then you, you know, a few angles.
1: We have time for just one last question. I think it's going to go to this gentleman here. Thank you. I really enjoyed the film. What what do you think is your... Ah. Uh, Hello. Um, What do you think is uh, your responsibility as a filmmaker when dealing with true events?
2: It's a really good question. And, um, I mean, there's a few strategies. Um, uh, I mean, I think we try and remain as true as we can while at the same time... Knowing that they're going to have to be certain things that are condensed. So, for example, within this story, we really cover events that took place over three years and we kind of combine them. And, but I think you're always looking to kind of get the spirit of you know, the truth in, in kind of the emotional truth. But then there are elements where suddenly going to documentary, like there are just gifts and you use as much as you can if they have dramatic value. So when Bobby goes at a girl, you know, in the real match, you use it because it's him, you know, trying to own his you know, failings. And so the match is almost you know, a perfect reduction of what really happened, you know.
0: But I guess the the tricky part on this was all the personal stuff that um and I think you know we had the advantage, I guess you could say, of Billy Jean being alive. So that's another kind of challenge: is when you have a real story and a person who lived it. Um, different from telling a real story, where you can maybe be more liberal with the truth. But I mean, I, I you know I don't really know if what the truth is, and I'm not sure she even knows in some ways. So I think we just tried to be clear with her about what the story was that we wanted to tell and what we thought would make a good movie and um, and then stay true to that you know um, because it's always a little it's always going to be some kind of fiction so I don't know if that answers (laughs) the question but that's what we did we just tried to make you know and and she did she and her partner they her partner had to keep saying to her it's a movie Mm -hmm. because she got very hung up on little things like um, well, that happened after, you know, she would get the dates and the, or the, the way the ice was wrapped around her knees. She said, I always had my legs up. I never would bend my legs with the ice packs around me. You know, they're just funny things that she focused on. So we tried to, you know, stick to the things that's, that mattered. Uh. There,
2: there is one irony that we did, or, you know, that we didn't include. And I think it's important that we Kept it out. But Marilyn, actually in 1981, was the person who outed Billie Jean in a palimony suit and sued her. And in that moment, Billie Je- all the things that Billie Jean worried might happen did happen. She lost all her endorsements. Eight years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but we, we really decided that that wasn't right to put in our story because we were really celebrating Billie Jean's. Brave move to be her authentic self. And we didn't want to kind of say, oh, yeah, do that, but, but watch then, out for those crazy yeah. people who will take advantage of you. Well, so it
0: didn't take place in the time frame of our movie, so <clears throat> it would have had to uh, have been a card at the end of the movie, and it would have just been really strange to sort of drop that bomb at the end of the movie, so we
1: decided not to include it having dropped that bomb at the end of the Q&A. Yes, ladies. I know. We yeah. wanted to share the bomb Sorry, with you, though. Yeah. <laughs> Join me in we'll thanking Valerie Farris it. and Jonathan Davis. you. Thank you.